Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, welcome to another edition of Top 10 Tottenham. Thank you so much for joining me again. Delighted to be joined by this gentleman, uh, a man who's been going to Spurs, well, over 70 years. He's been on the Spurs show quite a few times. Uh, the journalist and author, Norman Giller returns. How are you, Norman? I'm fine, and um, I'm wishing good luck to everybody who's waiting to hear my new manager. Oh, sorry. When is this going out? <laughs> just... Probably in a few weeks. Been saying that, we'll probably, but knowing Tottenham, still be no manager. Uh, so as we record this, we, we certainly don't have uh, a new coach. So you're, you're more than welcome to mention that. You know, it could be you, Norman. Maybe I mean, you've got the experience. I could, I could do a better job than some of those mentioned. I think you, Norman, have Ledley King with you, Ryan Mason, uh, maybe a couple of other ex-Spurs players. I think you kind of know... I mean, how many games of football do you think you've actually seen in your life? In my life, for in my Daily Express days, I was reporting uh, over 100 matches a season. Well, there you are. Um, many of them would have been Tottenham because I always try to get the Tottenham matches. But um, I, I was punch drunk uh, by the by the 1970s. And that's when I decided to find the same way of making a living. Yeah. So I went into television. And TV. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. It's a very sane business, that one as well, I suppose. What I loved about your uh, top 10 picks is... Uh, they kind of reflect the whole uh, era uh, of you following Tottenham, 
which is really, really nice. For younger listeners, there's going to be clips here that you might have heard, you might have listened to, you you might not have. Some of them, unfortunately, I couldn't find clips for. God knows I tried. I found a bit of pate news stuff, but some of it didn't have any audio, which was a bit annoying. But your first your first moment, uh, and this this is mentioning a man that I know my, my dear departed Uncle Simon. This was his hero as a kid. I know my father certainly saw this... Uh, player many people of a certain age are probably say Jennings was probably the greatest keeper they saw at Tottenham but this man certainly comes in number two for many many people and I'm talking about Ted Ditchburn and this probably was the moment that was this moment it was a Ted Ditchburn save against Charlton Athletic in the 1950-51 season and this was this moment when you sort of were hooked this was the moment that got you as a Spurs fan Norman well, it, it was at the Valley, which was the Charlton Athletic Ground, which in those days regularly had 60,000 fans. And I'd been taken to the Valley by my Charlton Athletic fanatical uncle, Uncle Roy, and he did not know that my godfather, another uncle, had already nobbled me and had told me all about this push-and-run Tottenham team that was the talk of football. Tottenham had just come up from the second division as champions and here they were leading the first division and uh, I was supposed to be supporting Charlton Athletic and I was at the Charlton <laughs> Athletic end and um, Charlie Vaughan, who was a Charlton Athletic striker or, or, or centre forwards they were called in those days, he, he shot from just outside the box and I was squashed up against the fence and uh, I had Ted Ditchburn's view of it. And I was cheering along with everybody else what seemed a certain picture goal when suddenly Superman, is it a bird, is it a plane? No, it's Ted Ditchburn. He threw himself across the goal and most goalkeepers would have punched it away, but Ted actually caught the ball in midair. <laughs> and uh, from that moment on um, to this 10-year-old boy, um, Ted Ditchburn was God and Tottenham Hotspur were my team. Where were you brought up, Norman? Where, where were you brought up? I'm, I'm a, an East End boy, a cable seat boy uh, from right. Stepney. Very yeah. posh. So so there was so you were, you were in a kind of big Tottenham area as well. I mean, obviously, you know... Um, ca- my, my area was, was split three ways. Um, West Ham United, Millwall and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. And, um, but Tottenham was the farthest ground for me. So... I, I didn't watch them regularly until I became mm. a, a journalist um, a few years later. Mm. What a lot of people say about Ditchburn and the footage I've seen, it was very kind of elastic keeper, incredibly athletic, wasn't he, Ditchburn? Well, we're talking of, of a man from another planet, and it wasn't Krypton. He, <laughs> he, um, he was a cruiserweight boxer, right? and he would have boxed professionally if it hadn't been for football. And, uh, and this is how he played his game. Goalkeepers had to be very aggressive then because shoulder charging was allowed. You, you, many of um, your listeners must have memories of the 1958 FA Cup final, for instance, when Nat Lofthouse barged um, Harry Gregg over the line and, and was awarded a goal. Well, nowadays, he'd, he'd have been put in the tower. I mean, <laughs> you can't touch a keeper now, can you? The goalkeepers have become a protected species. But Ted played in an era when he, you had to defend yourself, almost a, almost like a box on the ropes playing rope-a-dope. 
I mean, he was hammered at every corner. And, uh, but Ted was big enough and strong enough to be the king of the penalty area. And uh, I would put him at uh, number three in all of all the uh, Tottenham goalkeepers that I've seen over the last 70 years. Uh, number one, of course, would be Patrick. Uh, Pat Jennings, um, you know, absolute master, uh, the most modest man I've ever met. And I was with Pat fairly recently, and he was trying to convince me that Hugo Loris was a better goalkeeper than he was. Really? But uh, I refused to concede, and um, and I left him uh, in in uh, the mood to realise that all Spurs fans will always say Pat Jennings, number one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hugo, number two. Ray Clements, three brackets, Ted Ditchburn, four. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's right. This was an era in the sort of early 50s when certainly uh, a lot of players who lived locally t- t- to the ground they played in every other week would take the bus there. I hear stories of, you know, Len Dukin would be getting on the bus with his boots. Well, just let me paint a picture of the time. I mean, remember, this is fairly soon after the war. London was still blitzed and there were bomb ruins everywhere. And the players used to go to the ground in their demob suits, which is what most of the supporters were wearing, the suits they were given at the end of their military service. Um, And everybody went there either by train or bus. And um, very few players had had motor cars. It was was another world. And um, And they weren't earning much at this time as well. This is when unions were in football. Well, in 1990, 1950, when I first started watching, they were earning £17 a week. They'd just gone up from £11 a week, which was a massive rise. And they were, they were, and they, they were already earning you know, twice as much as the average man. So okay. £17 a week was, was considered a good wage, although now it's, it's, it won't buy you a meal on the way to the ground, will it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it certainly won't. Uh, your, second, your, your second memory, uh, obviously we have a clip for... I think any Spurs fan would have would have seen this. It's obviously the double year, the 1960-61. Here is Bobby Smith's goal against Leicester City in the FA Cup. Let's listen to it now. Suddenly, Bobby Smith seized his chance. Goal! For Spurs, that goal was just what the doctor ordered. What's your memory of that? I mean, obviously, he, he was... Famously, he, he he shouldn't have played that game, should he, Smith? He was injured. Well, Bob, Bobby became um, a very close friend of mine um, in his later life. And uh, we were getting ready to write his autobiography. And sadly, he, he passed on. And he, he took the secrets of his career to the grave with him. But something that um, he had told me privately is that on the morning of the final against Leicester City, when Spurs were looking to clinch the double, he was so desperate to play. And this is when the FA Cup was just as important as the league championship. He went privately to his local doctor in Palms Green, which is down the road from Wembley, and had uh, an injection in his knee because he knew that if Bill Nicholson knew the pain that he was in, he wouldn't have played him. He was so desperate to play that he went and had this injection and then became the, the man of the match. He scored the first goal that we've just seen. And then later on, he, he crossed the ball to Terry Dyson from the wing. And Terry Dyson was in the middle, as if they're swapped positions. And, and Terry Dyson scored the winner. But um, 
fun, funny enough, while, while that was the moment that, that, that stopped the world for Spurs fans, for Bill Nicholson, it was a, a terrible anticlimax because all season Spurs have played the magical football, football from, an, from another world. And uh, Bill was so disappointed that in the final, Spurs just didn't get into their rhythm. But, um, a player called Lynn Chalmers, Leicester City, he, he got injured and um, and they were playing ten and a half men with, with Len limping on the wing, and it somehow upset the, the rhythm of Spurs, and the, 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 the match just didn't live up to expectations. And Bill Nicholson never got over that. Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- there's obviously more stories about Bobby in your wonderful new book. My 70 Years of Spurs, A Long Walk Down White Hart Lane. I know for listeners, we'll be doing a separate show focusing on the book. But uh, for now, go and get that. It's uh, by Pitch Publishing. Wonderful memories, wonderful stories about Bobby Smith, uh, particularly in there. Uh, Your third clip, a man obviously you were very, very close to, uh, became still best mates with. I'm talking, of course, still the greatest goal scorer the club has ever seen, Jimmy Greaves. This was the following season. We just missed out on the league, uh, but we still won the cup against Burnley and we scored nice and early. And let's remind ourselves of that goal now. What a dramatic start. The game is only three minutes old when, from the head of Bobby Smith, the ball is at the magic feet of Jimmy Greaves. He half loses control, regains it and flashes it into the net. Uh, obviously a wonderful goal. Greaves, probably the only kind of player that could come into that uh, double winning team. Uh, we were very, very lucky to have Jimmy on the show, uh, uh, you know, a few years back uh, before he got ill. Uh, uh, you know, he talked about that game and his debut against Blackpool. When did you become really friendly with him? Was it sort of during his playing career? I, I was uh, on the Stratford Express as um assistant sports editor and there were two of us on the sports staff <laughs> and um J- jimmy was born in east ham which was um so he, that made him a local boy although by then he was living in Hainault, just outside dagenham and um jimmy was uh, making a breakthrough at chelsea's a 17 year old wonder kid and uh, i went to interview him at stanford bridge when he was 17 so so we've known each other since um 1957. Wow, amazing. And um, what I have to say, and this will hurt all Spurs fans, but he played the best football of his life in a Chelsea shirt when he had the innocence of youth, didn't think about the game at all and just, just did everything naturally. And he was probably the most gifted footballer to emerge on the English, uh, on the playing fields of England, in, in certainly in my lifetime. And uh, some of the goals he used to score for Chelsea, which are just unbelievable. And uh, he then went off to Milan. And uh, the reason of going to Milan was purely financial. And while he was on his way to Milan, the, uh, the PFA finally um, conceded that um, players would only play if um, they got uh, uh, kicked out the maximum wage. And from the moment that Jimmy arrived in Milan, he suddenly found out that they were earning just as much money back in England and he was in the prison of Italian football. He tried to get the contract cancelled, didn't he, apparently? He did. Um, I mean, from the moment he got there, he didn't want to be there. He was homesick. He he, he hated the the football because they were playing a 
a system called catenaccio, which in Italian mean, means bolt, and they played bolt defence. And um, this was introduced by an Argentinian coach called Herrera. And uh, all the Italian clubs were um, copying it, and every striker had at least two or three defenders on him. And Jimmy had no freedom at all. He played uh, 14 games out there and scored nine goals. I mean, that's and extraordinary, that was, isn't and that it? And that was with three <laughs> players defending. That's what's so amazing, isn't it? That he still managed to bang in nine and 14. It's incredible. But um, Chelsea um, offered him, um, a double, tried to double his money to get him back to Chelsea. But um, he had played against the double team the previous season and seen just how exceptional they were. And he held out to play at Spurs, even, even though at £65 a week, he was getting much less than, than um, he'd been offered at, Ch- at uh, Chelsea because he wanted to play for Tottenham, which had been the team that he'd watched and supported as a kid. Isn't it amazing? There's a real... We've done a few of these now. And we hear various stories. We've had many, many ex-players uh, coming on the show for the years. Pretty much all of them talk about... Uh, being offered to play for Spurs other team and always offered less by Tottenham. This goes this goes for the last sixty years. You know, I was offered. I mean, we had uh, Dean Austin, and he was offered more at Crystal Palace uh, than at Tottenham. I mean, it's extraordinary how uh, Tottenham over the years. Bill Bill Nicholson was the greatest manager in the history of Tottenham, possibly in the history of the game. But he used Spurs money as, as though it was their money and not his. And he, yeah. he, he, he was quite miserly, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he ran a good ship, though, and um, and the players admired him so much, they, they were happy to take less. Yeah. Uh, your your next clip is... Uh, I, I would well, we'll discuss it, I think, to many, many people before that night in Amsterdam. Many, many people said this was the greatest game, certainly, at White Hart Lane. I'm talking about the 61-62 semi-final against Benfica. Uh, let's remind ourselves of that game now. Spurs attack on the right. They have to score three goals now to draw level on aggregate. Reeves tries to reach the ball, but Pereira saves. A pass from Bobby Smith finds Greaves. It's in. What tragedy for Spurs. The goal disallowed. Offside. But they're fighters, these Spurs, every one of them. Surely sustained attack must bring a goal. And after 23 minutes, reward comes. White gives a perfect pass to Smith. Goal! Back comes Benfica, and somehow Spurs' goal survives. At half-time, each side has scored one goal. Spurs now have only 45 minutes to draw level on aggregate. But they come out fighting, and this is their own ground with their own crowd. They're still full of hope. Coluna foul, John White. A penalty. The kick's taken by Blanche Flower. Goal! So Spurs are really back in the game. Another goal and they level. 
A free kick. White takes it. Now an escape for Spurs. Benfica have the ball in the net. This time it's their turn to have it disallowed. From now on, Spurs can do everything but score. For Benfica, it's sheer nightmare. In the closing minutes, Henry puts the ball in the centre. Mackay heads. It hits the crossbar. The Spurs have lost. Uh, this is talked about, as, as I said before the clip, certainly before that night in Amsterdam, Many, especially my father, you know, he's in his 80s uh, now as well. He always said this was the greatest game he had seen at White Hart Lane. W- would you agree with that? It, can, can I say it, it, it transcended football? I mean, it was an occasion and um, the atmosphere. I mean, even now I feel the hairs in the back of my neck going up, just, just thinking back of that night because it, it, it was a, a cauldron of noise and... Um, there, there were, I would say, um, what's six, sixty-five thousand? I think the attendance that night was sixty-two. It might, it might have been, and uh, they, they sounded like half a million. I mean, it was just unbelievable, earth-shattering noise, and uh, they were trying their best to lift Tottenham after the the, the defeat in the first leg, and um, they. Uh, scored a superb goal th- through Jimmy Greaves and while we were all up in the air missing the days before VAR we were all <laughs> up in the air but it took just as long as back in the, the days of VAR to realise it had been turned down from, from, from being ecstatic there was suddenly mourning what would have been a special goal and to this day Jimmy will tell you that that was um, should never have been flagged offside and uh, there was great suspicion about the referee. Well, I'm, I'm sure he's... I'm, I, I'm guessing that maybe the referee might have... I don't know if he's still with us or... Well, I think Jimmy said on your show once, he, he left to dig himself out to yeah. see... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, obviously, even after that, when we needed that one more goal, remember we, we rattled the bar, we did everything but score that night. And I mean, Bill Nick said, didn't he, uh, famously, that he really thought we would then go on to beat... Real Madrid, who were the greatest team in Europe, arguably well, at the time. Well, Spurs would have beaten the Jock Steen's, um Celtic by five years to becoming the first British team to, to win a European Cup. And um, it hurt Bill for the rest of his life that they, they, they failed to make it to the final. Let, let's remember and give credit to the fact that that was a magnificent Benfica team. With uh, you say the young, young, yeah, and they played wonderful football. But on that night, Spurs were definitely superior, but they were cheated out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then your your your, your fifth clip. I mean, you you carried on. You mentioned there so nearly the first team to win the European British team to win the European Cup the following season we then became uh, the first this will never be taken away from us the first British team to win a major uh, European trophy it's always known and, and bless him he's still around and been on the show it's always known as Dyson's game Dyson's final let's remind ourselves of that extraordinary fifth goal in Russeldam watch Jimmy Greaves shake the post from this Dyson corner a minute later and it's Greaves again to give Spurs that all-important lead. 
was the goal that was, it certainly inspired the Spurs to even greater efforts. White notches goal number two. Madrid's half-time pep talk brought an early reward. Fullback Henry punches out a certain winner, but Collar scored from the resulting penalty. It certainly put new life into Madrid. For 20 minutes, they bombarded the Spurs' defence. But Spurs held out, and in the 67th minute, Dyson put them further ahead. Spurs were playing like the real champions they most certainly are. Greaves made it 4-1. Finally, Dyson made it 5-1. What a game. Danny received the cup that cheers not only him and Spurs supporters, but every English soccer fan. Were you out there, 63, were you, who were you writing for at this stage? Um, I was with the Daily Herald. The Herald. And in in those days, um, I used to go to matches as what's called the quotes man. So I, I would be the man hanging around outside the dressing room to get quotes. While um, there's a, a reporter you probably remember called Peter Lorenzo. Yes. He, he reported the match. And uh, Peter and I later became business partners. But uh, right. at the time, we were colleagues on the Daily Herald, mm. which m- m- most of your listeners would never have heard of. But that yeah. morphed into the broadsheet sun that then became Murdoch's tabloid sun. Right, and, uh, but it was originally called the Daily Herald, and it was a trade union paper. And the the obviously the, the, the access to players then. I mean, you, I mean, you've already said you grew up in an area where many of them grew up as well. Was kind of, I mean, journalists now just wouldn't believe the access that you would you would get with players and managers in in this particular decade. Well, well uh, I've got old contacts books, and um, and and they go, for instance, at. Bill Nicholson, his telephone number was Tottenham, 1745. And um, you dial T-O-T-17445. And um, that's how long my contacts would go back. And I used to have the um, number for every major player, every every manager. And in those days, they'd answer the phone and talk to you. Nowadays, you have to go either through an agent... Um, or you have to sit at the, those, um, what they call presses now, the, the press conferences they have, and, and you'll get exactly the same quotes as everybody else. There, yeah. there's, there's no individual um, flair in, it, in in the articles anymore because everybody's listening to the same thing. We had... Um... We had Julie Welsh on the show a few weeks ago. She also she also picked this moment in Rotterdam. She said that one of the reasons she picked this game is that was when this side peaked and was never the same again. Would would you agree with that assertion? Uh, Well, without question, and it was because of events that followed it. And um, sadly, that the following year we we lost Dave McKay to um, a broken leg. Danny Blanchard's knee finally gave in. I mean, he'd been been on a wonky knee for nearly as long as Ledley King was on a wonky knee. People forget that. And, um, of course, darling John White, we lost him on the golf course. And uh, and this was all, all in over a period of about a year. And, and, that, and that was when the team broke up and, and Bill started looking for um, his, his second beautiful lady. I mean, he, he considered... The, the double team, uh, a work of art. 
and he was trying to find her twin sister, but uh, unfortunately never quite succeeded. He, he, he did build some excellent teams afterwards, but the double team was the, was the one that set all the standards and for, the one to which I still bow the knee. Uh, Brown, Baker, Henry, Blanchard, Norman Mackay, Dyson, White, Bobby Smith, Clive Allen, and then Cliffy Jones, who could play on either wing. Yeah, Les, Les Allen. You, you mentioned his son there, but Les and Clive, one can get mixed up. Sorry, sorry. That's quite all right. There's Leslie. And um, Le- 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 Leslie um, was the only player to play in both of Jimmy Greaves' major debuts. He, he was alongside Jimmy when he made his debut at Chelsea. And uh, he was alongside Jimmy when he made his debut for Tottenham against Blackpool in, in uh, 1961. And, um, and each time Jimmy eventually took his place. Yeah. So um, it was great for Clive Allen to get family um, revenge for, for what Jimmy Greaves yeah. did to, the, to his dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, let, let's do a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look at your final five of top 10 Tottenham. In the last clip we had Terry Dyson, you were talking about that team eventually breaking up and Bill Nick trying to find a new one. And that's why it's so nice that your 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 sixth choice is, and in many, many people's choice as well, that Knight in Molyneux, another European trophy, bizarrely won in the, the black country. Uh, Martin Chivers, his two wonderful goals. Let's remind ourselves of those moments now. Chivers. Chivers again. Bilzine spreading out square. What a shot! Kick that one out. And Chivers again. Why did you put this one in your top ten moments? Um, well, <laughs> number two, um, I was jumping out of my seat at one of you. So, so you, you remember that. Because Stan Cullis used to sit just in front of us, and it's a very brave thing to do to stand, <laughs> to jump up when, when the opposition has scored a goal. But um, the incredible thing about that was that um, Big Martin, who, who was a moody and magnificent, and uh, he and Eddie Bailey just never ever got on, and uh, they had a row in the dressing room before the match because Bill and Eddie kept nagging, nagging, nagging. Martin about what they wanted to do and he got so fed up with it he went and walked out into the middle of the pitch to get away from them <laughs> and um, when, when he scored his first goal he looked across at Eddie Bailey and um, gave him the Churchill reverse sign <laughs> then, then, then he scored a fantastic second goal to virtually clinch, clinch the tie and um, as afterwards, when we were in the dressing room, Eddie Bailey's come in very contrite, and, and Eddie was out of the Alf Garnet school. He was he was a very um, what, what can I say, an aggressive Cockney. Yeah. Colourful language. Yeah. Well, he, he couldn't um, complete a sentence without, without yeah. dropping the F bomb. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I loved him, and what a football, by the way. Without yeah. Eddie Bailey, there'd have been no push and run side. Anyway, um, Eddie's gone up to Big Martin and, and mimed to kiss his feet and said, OK, Martin, you win. Take me home. 
Yeah. And uh, it, it, they won the, the uh, trophy that night, even though it was a second leg to come, because um, Martin's two goals you know, broke uh, Wolves' hearts. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the, your, your, your next moment here, and this one I, I couldn't find uh, footage of, so you'll have to paint that picture for us. Your, your seventh choice was Alan Muller's solo lap of honour at White Hart Lane. What was that? Well, Martin uh, Chivers had virtually won the match, so we thought that Muller knew. But Wolves played out of their skin that night at White Hart Lane. And um, Alan Muller had been brought back from Fulham, where he'd been on loan and they came back to captain the team in that second leg and it was Mullers who somehow managed to score the all-important goal that um, finally ended the the comeback from, from Wolves and when the final whistle went there was, there was a crowd invasion and the, the pitch was absolutely smothered with spectators all the top uh, players got off into the dressing room, except an Alan who insisted on doing his lap of honour. Alan had been battered black and blue, and he, he got back to the dressing room 10 minutes after the rest of the Spurs players. Also missing from the dressing room was Bill Nicholson, because he'd gone into the Wolves dressing room to commiserate with their players and tell them how wonderful they'd been. And this really upset Tottenham because they thought they should, he should have been with them telling them how wonderful they had been but that was typical Bill Nicholson a great sportsman and an honest man and he knew on that night Wolves had honestly been the better team but thanks to the Alan Mallory goal which is why I've remembered it as the moment for me of, of, of that era and uh, Spurs had won yet another European trophy it was uh, also the goal was a very kind of textbook. Martin uh, Martin Peters loved a quick free kick. Normally it was Chiv that would make that run in there, but it was actually Mullery, really brave diving header, wasn't it? Uh, you know, surrounded by various Wolves boots, football boots, got got that goal that gave us that cushion. And although they got the goal back, we, we were really hanging on, and but managed to hold on to, to, to win the trophy. Your, your next choice, uh, again, is, is not particularly goal. It's a moment in, in time. You've obviously uh, talked uh, beautifully about Jimmy Greaves. Your eighth moment memory was the news that Jimmy Greaves was being sold on transfer deadline day in 1969, which at the time was such a huge story. Most most. Uh, Spurs fans wouldn't know about uh, Jimmy's personal problems, I'd imagine. Uh, wouldn't be public like they would be now in, in the tabloids. That was quite a moment for us. I mean, as we record this show, Harry Kane is still with us, but it's the same kind of Willy Wonder go. This was really out of the blue for most Spurs fans, wasn't it? I was on the Daily Express at the time as a chief football reporter. And I was in the office, and this was on transfer deadline day. And I'd been tipped off that Martin Peters was going to Tottenham from West Ham. Now, what a, what a good buy that is. <laughs> but then, then the story broke that in return, Jimmy Greaves was the make-weight who was going to Upton Park. And I, I, I just I just couldn't believe it. I said, what, what do you mean? This is... I was te- telephoned by... A, I won't say his name, but it was a Spurs official who used to tip me off. So what do you mean Jimmy's going to White Hart Lane? He said, yeah, he said, there's going to be murders. Bill, Bill, Bill has, has given in to Ron Greenwood, who will not let Martin come here 
unless he gets Jimmy to to appease his supporters. What was I mean? Obviously, you were very close to Bill Nickerson as well. What uh, What was his thought? Why Why did he think? that we'd seen the best of Jimmy Greaves, who then went on, wasn't at West Ham very long, but still still scored goals there as well. What was the thought behind it? I, I, I was very close to Jimmy Jimmy Greaves in those days. And Jimmy, to be honest, had lost his appetite for football. Right. He had become a businessman off the pitch. He and his brother-in-law, Tom, had started um, a, a sports shop business, travel business, and it was really mushrooming. I mean... It, they had a turnover of a million pounds, which is a fortune in those wow. days. And Bill um, Bill Nicholson realised that he'd lost his appetite. Uh, they played a match at um, Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. Yeah. And, and Jimmy, to be honest, um, was there physically but not mentally. And uh, Bill dropped him after the, the defeat. And uh, Jimmy then was training for uh, the World Cup rally, which was going to be in the close season, which was from London to uh, Mexico in, in a Ford Escort. And Jimmy was given more attention to his rally driving than to football. Bill, Bill Nicholson, if he'd had his way, would have kept Jim, but Ron Greenwood was the man who insisted that the only way he could keep his supporters happy was if he got Jimmy in return. So reluctantly, Bill Nicholson let Jimmy go um, but it wasn't the Jimmy Greaves that we all remember, peak form Jimmy. This was Jimmy Greaves, very low on confidence and very low on interest in football because he was making money outside the game. When 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 we had Jimmy on the show a few years ago, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, how many years on we were talking? This is 1969-70. We had him on, oh God, I can't remember what it was now. It was 2000 and something. He spoke about this moment almost like it was still yesterday. You could see he was still bitter about it, upset about it. The thing that he said that made it most upsetting was Tottenham were training at the time and his boots were literally left outside in a bag. After all those years, he didn't say goodbye to any of his players. There was no one there to say goodbye to him and he thought it was handled really badly by the club. Would you agree with that? Yes, from a a PR point of view, it was a total disaster. But... Let's not forget that Jimmy Greaves uh, made his debut for um, West Ham at Main Road against Manchester City, scored two goals. And after that match, he travelled back by train wearing his West Ham shirt. So let's remember that at the time, Jimmy was very happy to be a West Ham player for for very briefly. But um, what what he'll never forgive Spurs for is the, the, the way that was handled. He had no say in the matter. I mean, mm. <clears throat> it wasn't like these <clears throat> these days um, that have um, a, a, an agent uh, negotiating for months on end, <clears throat> as is happening with Harry Kane at the moment. You know, it's it's it's, it's all it's all out of um, the players' hands. But Jimmy was just phoned at home, brutally told um, by Bill Nicholson, "I've got Martin Peters in the office, Jim." Um, I've agreed for you to go to West Ham and Ron Greenwood's waiting for you. <clears throat> and at the time, Jimmy was moving from the Upminster to a beautiful house in Shenfield. And uh, he discussed it with his wife, Irene. And his first reaction was, oh, you know, perhaps I should leave this. Why do I want to go? But then I thought, well, hold on, it's convenient. 
Um, Chadwell, his training ground is just down the road. West Ham is now my local club. So it, it, it suited Jim and, and, and off, he, off he went. But um, it always left a bit of taste in his mouth the way it was handled. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, your next choice, you, 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 you just mentioned Harry Kane. As we recalled this show uh, in June, this, this show was recorded. Harry Kane is still a Spurs player. We hope he remains a Spurs player. We know bids are coming in, certainly from Manchester City. When all this news broke, this is quite a shock to you, wasn't it? Well, I've, um, I've fallen out with lots of people on social media because um, <clears throat> I stupidly <clears throat> made a statement um, over a month ago that Harry <clears throat> was definitely leaving. And I know for a fact that uh, CK66 which is the company run by his brother, Charlie, yeah. have yeah. been negotiating with several clubs and uh, Man City are favourites to sign Harry and we'll, we'll know by the time this broadcast goes out. But I'll be astonished if he's still wearing uh, the lily white shirt next season. And is that despite him still having three years of his contract? And That, that and- doesn't come into... Can I say that I, I hardly know any transfer when a player isn't under contract to the club. Gareth Bale was in the middle of a long contract. It's, it, uh, it, it, all, it always happens. M- money speaks. And um, we're talking the biggest transfer in um, football history. And uh, Harry, I'm afraid, will be going. Tottenham will hopefully spend the money wisely. But we will have to just have memories of Harry Kane, who to me, next to Jimmy, was... The greatest striker in, in, in certainly in my seventy-one years watching Spurs. Mm. No, absolutely right. Uh, I hope you're wrong, but uh, I fear you will probably be right. What's incredible about your, your, your final clip, which obviously is is everyone's favourite, we kind of forget this night. Harry Kane didn't play. I mean, this is the, the you, you think about iconic Spurs games. This is up there. Our talisman striker was out, injured. Many could argue he, he shouldn't have played in the final. Uh, and the man who scored this goal should have done. We'll never, ever tire of listening to this audio footage, no matter how many times it's picked by many Spurs uh, supporters on this current series. Let's again, uh, without shame, remind ourselves again of that dying moments in Amsterdam. Batista licks away. Ben Davis with a tackle. Here's Son. Sissoko. Here's Deli Alley. Here's Lucas Mora. Oh, they did it! I cannot believe it! Lucas Mora with the last kick of the game. The Ajax players collapse to the ground. Tottenham Hotspur are heading to the Champions League final with a goal that we just couldn't believe. Jermaine Genus is speechless. Absolutely speechless. And so is everyone inside this stadium. I can't believe it, Flip. <laughs> Referee's had a look at the watch. Don't know where he's getting the time from. Here's Sissoko. Get in the corner. Down he goes. The full-time whistle! It's glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur! In the most amazing Champions League semi-final that most of us have ever seen. Even Harry's ankle's looking all right all of a sudden. 
History made in Amsterdam by Mauricio Pochettino and his players. It's the greatest night in Europe for 35 years since the days of Huddle and Ardiles, and maybe the best of all time. It's what Champions League dreams are made of. It's a night these players and supporters will never forget. Tottenham Hotspur have come to the Netherlands and reached the promised land. Where were you watching this game? What was your memory? And where do you put this in your 70 years of sporting Spurs? Where do you put this? Well, first of all, where I was watching it, I was watching it on the ceiling at home. (laughs) 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 Because like everybody else, when the second half started, I honestly thought (laughs) that Tottenham were going to go out of the competition. And when Lucas scored his first two goals, suddenly, as the, the word that all we Spurs fans know so well, hope, hope entered the auditorium. And we're thinking, no, can we really do it? And then that, that, the final goal when he completed his hat-trick. Uh, how big a moment? Well, it, it's, it's up there with anything that I've seen in, in my 71 years watching. And as I said, my, my, I've still got the bruise on my head where I hit the seam and I jumped. <laughs> and um, Lu, Lu, Lucas Moore, um, he's gone down in, in lane legend. And, uh, and why not? Uh, I just wish it could have all ended there. How happy we'd all been. Pity we went and played the final. Yeah. Uh, I know. But, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll always have Amsterdam, won't we? Well, this, I mean, you, you think about it, it's funny you've touched the point there because whenever we've won. Uh, semi-finals and whether you lose or win the final you kind of okay you know 81 springs to mind hybrid replay but you know you don't remember you certainly don't remember semi-finals when you go on to the final and lose it that much you know um 82 liverpool um i think we played west brom the semi-final semi-finals one point is you don't normally remember them when you go on to lose a final but this being the, the the premier european competition the way we did it we were dead and buried goal down first leg three nil down uh effectively at half time none of us saw it coming and if you remember just before the goal the tongan had a header that hit the bar when he should have scored. And you mentioned that hope. That was the moment we all went, oh, for f- that was it. That was the moment. That was the moment. And we all kind of sat back and went, that was it. We gave it a go. Plucky Spurs. It was just... It, and that kind of moment doesn't happen with Spurs. There's Manchester United, Arsenal, famous for last-minute goals. It, that, that kind of moment we're not used to as Tottenham well, fans. I, 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 I write for a living, as you know. And... Um, I, I have to say, even with my vivid imagination, I could not have made that up. I mean, yeah. if I presented that to you as a script for a film, because it's too far-fetched norm. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Lucas. Um, you'll be remembered forever. And uh, and how about those shots of um, Mauricio on, on the floor, <laughs> kissing the floor and then crying? I mean, I mean the, the emotion. I mean, we, we, we were all out. We were walking on air for, for a week afterwards. Really were. Yeah, well, let's hope. Let's hope those moments come back sooner or later. For now, Norman, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Top 10 Top. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.